Good evening, America. Welcome to Water Break. To baptize your babies or to not baptize your babies. This is an unusual Water Break show today, but one that I'm sure you'll enjoy. My guest, Chris Kadub, and I are going to have a fan, you know, kind of a family-friendly debate discussion over baptism. So as usual, grab your best scotch or Dr. Pepper and enjoy the show. New St. Andrews College. Today's culture shifts like sand. But New St. Andrews College is established on Christ the Immovable Rock. It is a premier institution that forges evangelical leaders who don't fear or hate the world. We don't need to fear the world. We fear God. Guided by God's word, they take the world back because they're equipped with the genius of classical liberal arts and God-honoring wisdom. Thanks to a faculty dedicated to academic rigor and to God's kingdom, find out more at nsa.edu. It's the real nsa.edu. Belly flop or cannonball? The debate over pedo and credo baptism is an important debate. And I don't want to minimize the ramifications of these differing theological views. I think there's serious ramifications for Christian families who, who wait to baptize their kids until they're you know, 12, 13, 14 years old or something along those lines. But because the gospel is bigger than our secondary theological errors, uh, I want to draw the lines of fellowship as far as the gospel draws those lines of fellowship. When we get to heaven, we're going to realize that God's grace is even far more gracious than we realized here on earth. So does Jesus fellowship with Presbyterians? You know, I, I hope so. I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian. Does Jesus fellowship with, with Baptists? Well, then, then I should fellowship with Baptists. The church is divided over this issue in all the wrong ways, and at the same time, the church has not been able to have friendly debates over this and work alongside each other after those debates. My denomination, the CREC, has a cooperative agreement that allows for both credo-baptist churches and pedo-baptist churches to join in the same denomination. Wow. The CREC does not divide over this issue. Baptists are welcome to the Lord's table, and Presbyterians are welcome to the Lord's table. Currently... SBC churches would not allow my children to come to the Lord's table. And Presbyterian denominations would not allow Baptist churches into their denomination. We really have messed up what it means to be part of the body of Christ, and, and we've divided where Christ does not divide. So I hope this show and discussion is helpful to you, and that it challenges you to not only have a better theological understanding of baptism, but also to have a better understanding of what fellowship looks like in Christ. Don't divide where Christ does not divide. You know our motto here, fight, laugh, feast, and, and the church really does need to embody this as we build each other up and disciple the nations. We need to learn to fight. We need to learn to feast. We need to learn to laugh as the body of Christ and, and a unified body of Christ. So my guest today is Chris K-Dub. Um, he's my sparring partner for this uh, debate. Uh, Chris is a reformed apologist, husband and artist. He's also the host of All Things Theology Podcast. Check it out. And most importantly, he lives in Texas, deep in the heart of Texas. Thank you for coming on the show, Chris. Appreciate you coming. Hey, thank you for having me. My pleasure. So um, how did you, you know, maybe kind of give me the story of how you kind of, uh, you know, where you grew up, how you ended up in Texas, how you, be, you, you, you did you grow up in a Christian family? Uh, you know, what was your journey like there? Yeah, so I was born in Louisiana, and my mom made the right decision to get us out at a young age to come to Texas. Yeah, yeah the great state. Yeah, <laughs> promised um, land, right? <laughs> that's right, the promised land, the new. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, pretty much raised in Texas, and um, I was raised in a very, I, I've called it very nominal, uh, quote-unquote, Christian home. We, we uh, I, I can remember you know, Creflo Dollar and T.D. Jakes being played in the household and, yeah. and family gatherings. And so I grew up in a very prosperity, gospel, wow. word of faith kind of atmosphere. And the, the, the Lord radically saved me at 19. And, um, you know, the Lord actually used Christian rap in my life, listening mm -hmm. to people like Shy Lynn really got me uh, out of kind of the word of faith teachings and curious. I, I was already kind of headed that way. And that kind of just introduced me into the reform circle, which I had a lot of foundational reform teachings in my life. I just didn't know it. And that led me to all sorts of men like John MacArthur, Vody Balcom. Yeah. Um, you know, the first reform book I read was uh, A.W. Pink, The Sovereignty of God. And wow. I, little, little old me just thinking me and A.W. Pink are the only <laughs> ones believing this stuff, you know? So, <laughs> uh, 
So, yeah, it was good. That's funny. You know, G.K. Chesterton, when he became a Christian, he described it like he discovered this new island. Like, this is amazing. How come no one knows about this? And then as he kind of walked over the crest of that island, he realized he's on the backside of Great Britain. (laughs) It's like, oh, actually, this has been trafficked for years. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you married, wife, kids? Yes, married to my lovely wife, Tanya, uh, for seven years. Uh, We have no children. We are looking to adopt. Awesome. We attend church at uh, Heritage Grace Community Church, pastored by Emilio Ramos, Lynn Kaler, and Brother Lanny Cozzini. Okay. And uh, is that in McKinney, Texas? It's actually in Frisco, Texas. Oh, yeah. uh, Just a city city over. So, yeah. Mm. Frisco, Texas got one of my favorite Mexican restaurants there. Um, You ever been been to Mexican Sugar? I have not, but it's filled with riches. Uh, Frisco is. So, yeah. Well, that's one of my favorite uh, Mexican restaurants. So go check out his church and the restaurant at the same time. Why not? That's right. That's All right. right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to give you kind of the first, uh, you know, tee off the discussion, tee off the debate, kind of give you the first um, uh, uh, voice into this and kind of talk about, you know, why are you uh, uh, cradle Baptist and kind of your theological understanding of why you think that's the, the proper way to view scriptures? Well, yeah, I appreciate it. I actually spent time, spent about a year in a Presbyterian church uh, in South Texas. Okay. And so I was very uh, appreciative of my time there. And uh, I love Presbyterians and we have so much unity in a lot of areas. But this is an area, you know, we do disagree. And one of the texts that really shaped and formed how Mm -hmm. I view this issue uh, Mm -hmm. was Jeremiah 31. I I actually believe our issue is really uh, about the nature of the new covenant as opposed to mode of baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the texts that I, I've, I've, uh, you know, used or, and, and uh, learned much from was Jeremiah 31 mm-hmm. verses 33 and following. Uh, it says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So one of the, one of the principles I learned from, from this text is about the new covenant members, all of them will have, will they will be regenerate. First, verse 33 talks about that. And verse 34 speaks of their um, sins being forgiven. Mm-hmm. And just to show the uh, the continuity or the consistency with Jeremiah's thought here, uh, if you turn to the next chapter in uh, Jeremiah 32, start at verse 39 to mm-hmm. 40, mm-hmm. Um, it says, I will give them one heart and one way and they that they may fear me forever for their for their own good and the good of their children after them. My Presbyterians right there are excited, right? When they see your children, but verse 40, (laughs) I will make them an everlasting covenant Mm -hmm. that I will not turn away from them to do to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn away. So one of the things I see here is that no, no apostasy in the new covenant, according Mm -hmm. to verse 40. Mm -hmm. And so there's all, there's all other texts for brevity's sake. Those are the only two I'll go to just because I know we could both bombard each other with text, but mm-hmm. I think that that that's a good starting point for me. Okay. All right. And then um, I'll kind of summarize my side of things here. Um, in, um, you know, I've lived in six different States now. Um, I was born and raised in Texas, lived in New Mexico for one year, um, Oregon, uh, California, Colorado and Idaho. And so um, I also, um, I grew up in the Presbyterian church. That's always um, uh, been the bulk of, of my time in, in, in the church. Um, but I did attend um, Baptist churches and Reformed Baptist churches, or, or uh, maybe they didn't call themselves Reformed Baptists, but they really were um, uh, in California. And so I benefited greatly from, from my Reformed Baptist brothers and great you know, friends with the, the you know, Bice and G3 and the founders and everything. So it, it, you know, my opening monologue really was sincere about like, I think we need to learn to fellowship where Christ fellowships and not divide where Christ doesn't divide. Um, so Absolutely. my concern there is, 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 um, uh, I, you know, I hope, and I, and I'm seeing, I think some, some shifts there in the church to, to be more unified and not let the, especially the issue of baptism divide. But, um, now, with with that said, I, you know God relates to um, His people through covenant. Um, covenant 
you know, we don't mean you don't disagree on this point, but covenant is is a big part of scripture that the large evangelical church just tends to ignore. Um, right. You know, you got the you got the covenant of Adam, you got the covenant of of Noah, you got the covenant of Abraham, you got the covenant of of, of David, you got you know all the way into the new covenant with Christ. Uh, you got um, and and as as Christians, I don't I don't see these as a Presbyterian. I don't see these as like um, uh, different covenants. Uh, I see these as a, a revelation of the covenant over time rolling out into Christ. Um, uh, now I, I do believe the old, there, the, the one distinction I do want to draw is I do believe there's a difference in the old covenant and new covenant in terms of, of how that, a covenant, how that covenant is administered, you know, um, in the old covenant, you have sacrifices, um, and the new covenant, Jesus was our final sacrifice. Um, so wherever in the new Testament, it, it clearly nullifies what was functioning and happening in the old Testament, um, that that is um, how I would view uh, the new covenant, which is why I'm also a theonomist um, because uh, the law wasn't abrogated. The law wasn't done away with in Christ. It was fulfilled in Christ. And we need, as Christians, need to learn how to practice how f- f- uh, what the law looks like through a risen Jesus. Okay, side, side note on theonomy. Um, now, so God relates to us through covenants um, and, and, through, and, and they're all one covenant, even though... Um, God, you know, covenanted with Adam. He covenanted with Abraham. He covenanted with Noah. He covenanted with Moses. He covenanted. Um, but um, whenever the New Testament references, the New Testament actually references each of those covenants. And but the New Testament, when they reference it, um, they're applying it to the New Testament church, basically saying you all are also um, in that same line of the covenant, the covenant with Adam, uh, uh, Abraham. In Genesis chapter three, um, uh, Paul says, you know, talking to the Gentile nation, talking to the church of Galatia, um, you know, you got chapter uh, three, verse eight, it says, and scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in in thee, all the nations shall be blessed. So Paul's taking the old covenant, the covenant in uh, that God made with uh, Abraham and saying, "Hey, this is being fulfilled here in you and the Gentiles. You're the heathen, and 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 you and all the nations are being blessed through Abraham, and you are benefiting from that covenant." And so, uh, that's uh, the only point I just want to make. There is that the the covenant that God made with Abraham, with Noah, with Adam, it applies in the New Testament, but through the lens of Jesus. So I don't want to disconnect, you know, the Old Testament covenant where the Bible doesn't disconnect the Old T- Covenant. Um, I don't, and but I also don't want to carry things over from the old covenant that the New Testament would um, nullify through Christ and His death and resurrection and that final sacrifice. All right, so that's just a, a short um, thing about the covenant. Secondly, um, the old covenant, um, and I think this is actually a really important point related to covenant. Um, the old covenant does not preclude children from being in covenant with God. Um, uh, that's the whole point of circumcision. Eight, you know, a, a, a male child was um, circumcised after eight days, and and he was um, uh, that that Old Testament sign of circumcision was the covenant sign. So the Old Testament doesn't preclude children from being in covenant with God. So why would the New Testament um, preclude children from being in covenant with God? It, it and I would argue it doesn't. Uh, now usually this debate. Um, uh, I want to make a, a kind of a, a visionary point here about uh, how Presbyterians view their children um, and how Baptists view their children and children. And Chris, you can make a note here, clarify here. Um, I know not every Baptist would agree with my articulation here. Now, Presbyterians tend to view their children as kind of um, growing up and coming in, growing up into Christ. They, they tend to view their children as, as they're um, coming from this tree and, and our children are like fruit. You know, um, Psalm 128, they're like fruitful vine. Um, and, and so our children are either going to bear good fruit or bad fruit. Um, now, Baptists tend to view their children as, well, we don't know yet. They're either wheat or they're tares. And if they grow up to be wheat, then we'll baptize them. If they grow up to be tares, well, then they weren't part of, of, of the faith and we aren't going to baptize them. And, and so I think that that actually has um, a huge impact on how we view 
how we raise our children. Do we raise our children to, to be good fruit or do we raise our children to be, you know, to, to, we don't know, to be wheat or tares, what's, what's going to happen? We don't, we don't know. And we'll do our best and it's just kind of a crapshoot what happens there if they grow up to be wheat or tares. Um, lastly, now the, the common, and Chris, you're, you're going to be familiar with all these texts too. Um, this is nothing new to you, but one of the common responses is, well, show me a, um, a verse in the Bible where an infant was baptized. And, and my first response to that is, well, show me a verse in the Bible where a woman took communion. You, you, can't, you can't find that. Um, so we, we don't, you know, show me a verse in the Bible where the word Trinity is used. We, we, we can't do that. But um, even, even with that, you know, childish response, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, there's still examples where households were baptized in the New Testament. This is about five, of, I, I believe, five, five examples uh, where households were baptized. Now, if anybody's a thinking you know, um, Christian here on this is they know when the word household is used, and especially used in the Old Testament, it always meant the whole household. In fact, it and it, for Abraham, it meant his whole household, including the slaves that were with him. So when we talk about household, it absolutely includes um, the infants and the babies and the children that were in that household that were baptized in the New Testament. You know, I'm thinking of Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, Lydia, Acts chapter 16, uh, the Philippian jailer and his household, Acts chapter 16, um, uh, Crispius' household, Acts chapter 18, and Stephanus's household in 1 Corinthians um, are, are examples of this. So I, that's not, you know, um, uh, I, I, I just want to kind of anticipate something that I think you'd bring up, but, uh, you know, uh, and just wanted to be able to kind of say that from the jump. So, so that's kind of my summary of why I believe we should baptize uh, infants is because I believe they're part of the covenant people of God, and now they can grow up and, and not be Christian. I'm not saying just, be, just because you're automatically in, in the covenant doesn't mean you're automatically a Christian. You have a number of examples, Eli's sons, Samuel's sons, a number of examples of people who were in the covenant of God who God cast out. Um, uh, and in fact, you, you know, that's kind of the history of the old Testament is God casting out his unfaithful people of the covenant, uh, and everything. So I think I don't, I don't want to confuse covenant with salvation, although the normal means of salvation happens within the covenant context of people of God and the church and so forth. So, um, Chris, I'll, I'll stop right there and, um, uh, we'll, let's go back and forth a little bit on this. Yeah, no, that was good. That was helpful. Um, <clears throat> you, so I, I guess. I would I I didn't say this in the beginning, but I would uh, also articulate that one of the uh, formulas or principles you see all throughout the Book of Acts, where it talks about baptism, or uh, yeah, baptism is it, it. It first tells us to repent, then be baptized. Uh, one of my gracious critiques of the Presbyterian uh, systems, I believe, uh, flips that uh, you know formula, so to speak, to be baptized then repent. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, you know, being charitable as possible. Um, yeah. but you, you said something interesting that I, I yeah, you, you just said something interesting that, you know, being in the new covenant doesn't guarantee your salvation for your children. Although I'm, I'm thankful you did say that, uh, I, you know, I, I think according to Jeremiah 31, being in the new covenant does guarantee that you are saved because it states that all your sins are forgiven. And this is speaking from the greatest to the least. Mm -hmm. So this is actually one of my struggles with the Presbyterian view. Um, mm -hmm. How can how can um, all the how can you not be saved if you're a new covenant member if the Bible says all your sins are forgiven? You know. Yeah. Um, I, so I think to understand that's a great question, and I think um, understanding the nature of what covenant is. Uh, will we'll help sort through that question. So first of all, covenant, um, the Westminster Confession defines covenant as a, so, uh, a solemn bond um, administered with blessings and cursings. That's the short definition of it. So it's a, it's a promise uh, that comes with blessings and cursings. So God promises salvation in his new covenant. Now we know uh, um, that that's the normal way that God saves is through his people, through his body, through his covenant. And so God promises salvation in that context, okay? So um, if you, uh, uh, but, but the, the, the challenge that the, I think the, the modern church needs to kind of get their head wrapped around is that, um, and this is a hard statement, I think at the beginning, but let me explain it later. 
You can be in covenant. You can be in covenant with God and and not be a Christian. You can be in covenant with God and fall away from from that covenant. You can be in covenant with God and be what we know as a covenant breaker. What we'd call as a, ultimately a covenant breaker. Um, and you can think of. I already gave a couple examples in the Old Testament of people who were in covenant with God and broke covenant, and God cast them out. Um, and then you think of you know Jesus's um, uh, metaphor in John chapter uh, 14, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And that some of those branches got cast out. Some of those branches got cut off the vine. Well, those branches were connected to the vine. And I, and I believe this is using covenant language here. Those branches were connected to the vine, and yet they still got cut off. And yet other branches got grafted in. Um, and, and those, but those branches were connected to Christ. Jesus says, I am the vine, I am Christ, I am the vine. And yet somehow branches were getting cut off and getting grafted in. Same thing with uh, Paul's analogy in, in Romans chapter 11 when he's talking about the olive tree. Um, that uh, um, Actually, let's, let's go there just, just real quick. Um, Romans chapter 11. Um, I'll, I'll get to the heart of this, but, but, um, there's, uh, Paul uses the, the metaphor of the olive tree as, uh, uh, what it means to be in covenant with God. And I'm going to start just in verse 19. The whole chapter is a really good chapter to read, but this just kind of gets to the heart of what I'm saying. Uh, verse 19, thou wilt say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off and thou standest by faith, not by high minded, but fear. So Paul's using the metaphor of, a, of, of an olive tree, and he's saying the people who were part of the covenant people of God, the people that got cut out of that covenant, ultimately got cut out of that covenant because they did not believe in God. The people who got grafted in, talking about Gentiles, the people who got grafted in, ultimately were grafted into the covenant people of God because they were walking by faith. They were standing by faith is what Paul says in verse 20. So the covenant is just a structure. The covenant is like, like a, a skeleton, um, and and it's it's a it's a structure of what it means to lit, to be in covenant with God, to be in this promise, walking with God in this promise, and ultimately the only way you can keep covenant is by faith, and that faith is given to you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So um, those ultimately who get grafted out of that covenant are those who ultimately show unbelief and genu gen genuinely don't believe in God and reject God. That's ultimately so. So I think um, we don't want to equate covenant with um, automatic faith, automatic salvation. That that'd be a works-based salvation. But we do want to equate covenant with the promises of God, and in that context is where um, God promises salvation. Uh, to his people, and and he he's the one that's faithful, and he's the one that keeps ultimately keeps covenant and all this. Um, does that really answer your question, Chris? Um, I I see how that's consistent with your view. Uh, but I mean, obviously, I would disagree with some of those nuances. Um, mm -hmm. that because it seems as if Jeremiah is saying that all of the new covenant members can say they're regenerate, that they have no more sins. Uh, accredited to them, even Jeremiah 32, that they won't apostatize, obviously from God's perspective, mm -hmm. right? We don't know who the elect are, but hopefully you know what I mean right yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but in a Presbyterian system, um, I, I, I'm not sure, even from what you just said, that you can say that because many children often do apostatize. Many children often do never come to faith. And so it, so to me, there seems to be an inconsistency with the nature of the new covenant on this point right here. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I agree that God works in covenant, right? Yeah. I mean, I would even argue everyone is in the covenant with God, either, you know, viewed in Adam or in Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, yeah. God, I, I, I mm -hmm. fully agree. God works covenantally. Mm -hmm. I, you know, you know I, I'm no pushback here from a Reformed Baptist. And so, yeah. so yeah. Um, it, well, well, that's that's the, that's part of the point, though. If, if everyone's in covenant with God, if God works covenantally, then... Um, there are people who aren't going to be in heaven. There are people who won't be any have eternal life because they fell away from the faith, or um, because they, you know. So if everyone's in covenant, it's like um, obviously people are 
not going to be in, in heaven and all that. Let, let me let me ask this or say it like this. And, and I do want to provide you, you know, please ask questions to me. Oh, I don't I'm, I'm going to in a minute. Okay. 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 I just didn't want to be all me. So, no, no. so yeah, I mean, yes. So, but do you see the new covenant as Christ as the federal head or someone else? I, I'm assuming Christ, right? Yeah. Like, Christ, Christ is the head of the yeah. body, right? Christ is the head of the church. Yep. Right. Ephesians five. Yeah. And, and with that line, if Christ is the uh, federal head of the new covenant and atoning for the sins it seems like he's not atoning for everyone in the new covenant sins, which to me would seem to be inconsistent with limited atonement from a reform perspective as well. Um, well you know what I'm saying there? I, 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 well, like, again, I think, I think um, you're uh, maybe making some, uh, uh, you're equating some things that I wouldn't equate with the covenant, but uh, maybe let me sure. respond. Let me respond this way by saying, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. How, how would you, how would you understand John chapter uh, uh, 15? I said 14 earlier. Um, yeah. Uh, and then Romans uh, chapter 11 that I talked about earlier. How how do you understand that in context of the covenant? Right. In, in so, this conversation. I mean, even, yeah, even even to add more, uh, I guess, pressure on me, you know, a lot of the passages in Hebrews that speaks of uh, like Hebrews six and, you know, uh, other passages of that nature that I'm sure you would also use as support of new covenant members falling away. Mm -hmm. um, so I see those passages as 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 warning passages that, that God does threaten his people with, but the impossibility, but there also exists at the same time, the impossibility of that happening. God does warn his people. Uh, he threatens them with apostasy, so to speak, yet the impossibility exists at, at the same time. Um, I, I see both of those to be true. Um, you know, maybe they seem contradictory, but I see those as two legitimate twin towers, so to speak, that, that that's how that, is so to speak yeah but i i read the verse in romans chapter um 11 11 verse uh, uh 19 i can't see my bible looking down the mic and and he says um they were broken off because of their unbelief it's not so he's actually saying because of their unbelief they were broken off so it wasn't like a right. saying it was an impossibility he's saying no this actually did happen and then you see in uh first corinthians chapter 10 where it says and, and then paul later i think um, oh man, um, in Romans, I want to say Romans nine, he says, not all Israel are of Israel. Right. And so he's yeah, saying, absolutely. he's saying everyone, not all those who are Israelites are truly Israelites. You know, not all right. those in another way of saying it, he's using covenant language here. He's saying not all those who are of the covenant are, you know, truly of, of the covenant. No, not all those who are of the covenant are truly saved is, is to, to break that down further. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. And so I'll, I'll answer about, uh, you know, Romans 11 specifically. Mm -hmm. um, I would argue that. So I, I guess my hermeneutical principle is first starting about passages that are on the topic or clearly about the topic about yeah. the new covenant. So like passages like Jeremiah 31, clearly about the new covenant, whereas Romans 11, I'm not I'm not sure that it is speaking about the new covenant. And mm -hmm. I think one of the Presbyterian assumptions when they see covenant, they do think one one covenant that is not distinct, or 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 sorry, as you say it, old and new are the same with different um, administrations. I know that's the common mm -hmm. Presbyterian mm -hmm. language, mm -hmm. um, and so I I mean to me I I think that assumption needs to be addressed rather than assumed, mm -hmm. um, uh, assuming continuity rather than um, and 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 don't get me wrong, I have to prove my discontinuity as well. Mm -hmm. I'm not just saying mm -hmm. that the onus is on you; it's on both of us. I would argue. Um, but I think, you know, according to Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 32, Pat, uh, Hebrews 8 as well, the new covenant only has redeemed members mm -hmm. in it. Um, yet that God does threaten his people. And I, and I believe a lot of, matter of fact, my pastor preached through Hebrews a couple of years ago. And one of the major emphasis on the, the threats, the warning passages, so to speak, mm -hmm. is to continue God's people, right? Mm -hmm. Unbelievers, uh, you know, the non-elect do they won't they will never heed god's warnings right they mm -hmm. but but the believer hears god's warning to wake up so to speak yeah and that and that that revives us right not mm -hmm. continues in sin and so mm -hmm. that's how i see a lot of these warning passages mm -hmm. in scripture yeah let me let me address uh, my uh assumption or use the use the word um assume that uh, you know romans 11 is just talking about the covenant and i, and I think it is talking about the covenant because it, it um it all goes back to 
starting in Romans chapter 9 where it says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And, and he applied that in terms of covenantal representation of how God dealt with nations. Well, um, I, well let, me, let, let, me, let me clarify something real quick. I, I, so I do believe it's about covenant, but I remember I, the issue okay. is which covenant. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I, I obviously will. I, so I, this is actually why I think the new covenant is better. Is because in the old covenant, clearly there were people that were cast out. There were unbelievers in the old covenant. Mm-hmm. But I believe the new covenant is better because obviously we have a new mediator, which you would agree with. Mm-hmm. But we, it also has better promises, mm-hmm. uh, not same promises, but better promises. Uh, and one of those promises is that all the all those in the new covenant will 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 be saved and never fall away, mm-hmm. according to Jeremiah thirty-two. Yeah, forty. And, and I think it's the same kind of representative language that uh, John, you know, John chapter three is talking about um, for God to love the world. Well, God loved the world, all the world. God's going to save the whole world. Well, is everybody um, uh, going, is every single person going to go to heaven? Is that, is that what that verse is claiming? Not at all, but it's, it's absolutely claiming an overwhelming conquering of the world. God so, God so loved the world. They gave his only son. And, and, and so I think in the same thing with Jeremiah, is that I believe the new covenant, absolutely, I agree with you, it's, it's better because um, Jesus fulfilled what we could not fulfill. Jesus died for what we could not die for. Jesus killed our sins. You know, um, Jesus better represented us in the garden than, than Adam, all that stuff that we agree with. Um, and, and, so, uh, and, I, and I do believe that there's going to be more Christians in the new covenant than there ever had, was in the old, old covenant. So I think it's, it's representative uh, language that's being that's being used there to articulate the power of, of Christ in the new covenant. And, and I would say one point, one point here about the, um, uh, um, the continuity of the covenant, the continuity of the old Testament and new covenant, um, the old covenant and new covenant is um, referenced many times in, in the scriptures, whenever it references Noah or Moses, you know, or Abraham, it's applying the covenant that God made with them to the New Testament Christians. So it's not, um, it, there's not a disconnect in terms of, of the promises of the Old Testament and New Testament. It's, uh, it's a, the, the, the change, the administration, as you said, the change in the, from the new te- Old Covenant to the New Covenant is, is the administration, is how that covenant is administered. And we don't sacrifice anymore because Jesus is the final sacrifice. Um, the promises didn't change. The promises were fulfilled, and the and the and the promises were kept in Christ. And so, um, uh, the the structure, like I said earlier, I referenced the covenant. Think of covenant like a structure, and and it's it's an, another way of putting this. This is, um, I think, this is another helpful way of describing it. Um, this might cause some consternation in some people, but it's it's the covenant is kind of like church membership in some sense um where everyone at your church is a member let's say let's say your church has you know 100 members at your church whatever well um not probably it's it's possible that not everyone's a christian um a save a believer at your church but they're all members with that church and in the same way that's how we can understand the covenant is we can see that um i can see those people who are in covenant with god I don't know if they're all saved, um, uh, but I can see and I can identify. These are the people. This is the family of God uh, and everything. And and those people can, you know, leave the church. They can leave the covenant. They can't get cut off of the covenant. That's why, um, uh, I mean, Jeremiah was a um, a warning, uh, a a in uh, the condemnation on uh, Israel that was falling away and a, breaking a fire covenant. and brimstone preacher. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Ezekiel and Jeremiah were crazy. Right, um, but but they were talking and and, and they're talking about the the covenant people of God breaking covenant with Him and losing that people that covenant people status, and so the the possibility of losing covenant uh, and breaking covenant with God and you know being excommunicated out of that covenant was a reality, and that's why I think John fifteen I am the vine you are the branches um, helps us understand what what what's going on there. Um, so I, I guess I'll say this for clarification. Um, I, I do believe there is continuity between old and okay. new covenant, but, but I also believe there is discontinuity as well. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you kind of brought some things up earlier. Um, I mean, yeah, you would be a fool 
to not see any continuity right mm-hmm. uh, you know mm-hmm. i mean that's kind of a uh, andy stanley type uh you know mm-hmm. teaching no continuity at all but uh I, I i do see continuity but as well to this issue i see discontinuity mm-hmm. or i mean i see a better uh promise and, and, I, and i think you would agree with that as well although we have different distinctions of fleshing that out mm-hmm. i see in the new covenant that um is a hundred percent crisis, a hundred percent, so to speak, effective in saving his people. Um, and you know, I, I, mm-hmm. one of the things you brought up too uh, earlier is um, the the covenant expands. If if the covenant old covenant um, uh, included children, then we should you know see that carry over in the new covenant. And I don't mes- necessarily disagree. I I just have a, diff- a different distinction in that as well. Uh, obviously, God still saves children; mm-hmm. He just saves believing children. Or, or or to put it put it like this: new uh, there are children in the new covenant. It's just that they are all believing children. Um, How did those children get in the new covenant? Faith in Christ. How did Regeneration. The chil- How did the children in the Old Testament get in the new covenant? Circumcision. So, in the Old Testament, getting in the covenant was a works based. Getting in the covenant, well, it wasn't something they did. It was something their parents did for them on their behalf. So so still works-based. Well, that's why I said I I don't believe the old old covenant was necessarily – I mean, you have – I mean, you would agree with a lot of this language. You you have covenant works as well as a covenant of grace principle as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I see both of those principles working. I'll I'll say it like this. So you had circumcision, circumcision of the flesh entrance into the old covenant I, I mean i don't think that's arguable that that that's how they entered into the old covenant that was one of the things god uh commanded them to yeah. do do this or yeah. right do this and live right principle yeah. that uh-huh. that works principle yeah. there but in the new covenant um you see that um circumcision of the heart is actually um the penetrating principle of every new covenant me- member according to jeremiah 30 31 32 as well, but also Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy says that you need to be circumcised in the heart. The old right. covenant sign of circumcision um, was pointing towards that circumcision in the heart, which Deuteronomy also Absolutely. said, which we agree with. Absolutely, yeah. So I wouldn't see. But, there's but, not. There's no, there wasn't a distinction between um, the old covenant wasn't like trying to shortchange what it meant to be have faith in Christ <laughs> or have faith in right. God, um, and that you needed to be circumcised in the heart in the old covenant, just like you do in the new new covenant. Absolutely. So so absolutely. Um, I'm not saying old covenant, you're saved by works, new covenant, you're saved by grace. That's mm-hmm. the, what I'm arguing is entrance into the new covenant. And also, um, I guess the effectiveness of, of, of that mm-hmm. uh, principle, old mm-hmm. covenant, clearly not everyone in the old covenant was uh, saved. I mean, most of Israel was pagan, mm-hmm. uh, idolatry worshipers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the new covenant, that's why I keep harping back to texts like Jeremiah 31, where it clearly says every member of the new covenant has their sins forgiven. That wasn't the case with the old covenant. And so that's the distinction I'm making. Um, and that, that, that's to me is uh, obviously the continuity discontinuity part as well, but that seems to be our major uh, disagreement right there. Yeah. I mean, I think the promise in the old covenant that God would save his people. Um, and yet some of them fell away is the same thing. Uh, same promise in Jeremiah. Um, you know, God is going to save his people and, um, and yet unbelievers will fall away. Um, will be, how do you, go ahead. How do you understand for they shall all know me and I remember their sin no more. Speaking of the new covenant members. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I take that as representative language of, uh, in the same way I would take, uh, uh, John chapter three is representative language that, that God, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son as who shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves the world. And those who believe in him won't perish. God's saving the world. God's Jesus king over the whole world. And yet within his kingdom, there will be people who will go to hell. But it says for the least to the greatest. And it says each one. So mm-hmm. it is, to me, it seems very um, representative of everyone, not just majority or or lots, but mm-hmm. every single person can say this in the new covenant. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess... Um, my response would still be to that. I don't have, I mean, obviously I don't have a problem with that text at all. It's, it's, I think it's representative of how God functions in a, in this world and in how his covenant functions in this world. Um, God promised he would save everybody. He'd save his people in the old Testament and yet only 7,000 remain. 
Right. Um, you know, so is is his promise not real? Is his promise um is he short is he shorting his people on his promise in the old in the old testament? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, mm-hmm. God's eye, I would argue, has always been on his 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 people, his elect, his remnant. But he um, but he uses would, similar language where he says, I'm I'm going to save um, I, I will save you, and, and yet 7,000 only remained. But I don't see where it's ex, as specific as this language, from the least of them to the greatest. That's, that's, that, that seems to be a, a all-inclusive uh, of everyone in the New Covenant. It's, it's not just general, because, you know, I, 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 would, I would understand if it just said, you know, for you shall know me, because it's not specific as to who, who the you is. Yeah. You would actually need more qualitative information, mm-hmm. but this seems to be very specific and, and, and actually says a lot more mm-hmm. than, you know, the world, because we know the world world can have uh, a nuance of, of uh, definitions depending on the context, mm-hmm. or it's not just general yeah. as for, for, I will save you. But it, I mean, it seems to be very exhaustive on who it's speaking about. So, so from uh, the least to the greatest, then, then the least would be my children who need, who are in covenant of God. Who should yeah, be baptized? Yeah, I believe my baby. Yeah. My baby's I, the least. My little infant should be but, baptized. in. but yeah, yeah, absolutely. But notice what it, notice what it says about them. It says from the least, all these people have are regenerate, and God remembers their sins no more. From a Presbyterian system, that's not the case because there are many children that I would argue from your theology, not just practice, right? Because, uh. Right. No one has infallible knowledge of who the elect are. But yeah, from from a the- theological standpoint, these members actually will fall away and God will remember their sins. Mm-hmm. It, uh, yeah. Again, so let, let me come at it this way. Um, OK, we we and, and, we, we and both, I've, I've asked a lot of questions. Yeah, please, yeah. please ask me something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we both agree that um, circumcision was the Old Testament sign of the covenant. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Now, would you agree that baptism is the New Testament covenant sign of of being in covenant with God? No, I would not. I would. I would. I believe that uh, the sign of the new covenant. I mean, again, um, Jeremiah thirty one. Sorry, I'm just harping here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is re- is regeneration. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things he says about the covenant here uh, is he puts the law within him, writes it on the heart. I believe that's regeneration language, and even further to further substantiate that, uh, this is why in verse thirty-four he says, "No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother," which is fulfilled in First John two twenty-seven, mm-hmm. which speaks of us not having ultimately no need for a teacher. Why? Because the Spirit ultimately is our teacher. Um, that's not disqualifying uh, needs for pastors or discipleship or anything like that. But ultimately, the Spirit is our guide and teaches us, and so. I would argue the new covenant sign ultimately is regeneration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, well, then how do you make sense of, so Colossians uh, chapter, this is one of the verses that was helpful for me in, in this discussion. Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the, the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, um, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. So Paul, he equates circumcision with baptism. He, he says, you were circumcised um, into his flesh and you were buried with him in baptism. And so he's connecting the sign of circumcision and the sign of baptism with the reality of what circumcision and baptism are doing in Christ. And so, yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Finish, finish your thought if you have something and, else. Just, just one last comment there. And so he's mm-hmm. he's he's passing the baton off from circumcision to baptism, um, in in the resurrected in the buried death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, um, in that in that um, in that not just in the not in just the actual sign, but obviously also what it means. I mean, he's, he's clearly communicating that that the the burial and resurrection of Jesus is a form of a baptism. Yeah, so I actually see this text a little different. Um, and common texts I've gone through with Presbyterians, it talks about this circumcision, but it's talking about a circumcision made with hands. So it's actually, actually speaking, that that seems to indicate that it's talking about regeneration. It's without um, hands, the, the circumc- circumcision made without hands. Correct. Yeah. Okay. 
Correct. So not with hands, but without hands. Okay. So yeah, that yeah. kind of rules off uh, the old covenant circumc- circumcision. Not, not, that at, all. not at all. Not at all. Because when, when, when okay. the circumcision brought up in the Old Testament, the actual physical sign of circumcision is brought up in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, uh, Moses clearly says in Deuteronomy, but, but you need to be circumcised in your hearts. I mean, so so the actual sign of circumcision is always pointing to the spiritual reality of what needs to be happened. Same with baptism. The actual sign of baptism is not, okay. it's pointing to the greater thing, right? Right. So, so the point I'm making is not that there aren't typological examples in circumcision that point to regeneration. I agree, but I'm saying in this text, it seems to indicate that circumcision made without hands is actually speaking about the uh the the reality not just the the type mm-hmm. um that is the physical cir- circumcision uh, and that's why he that's why he calls that the circumcision of christ mm-hmm. um and then he goes on see and actually i think this text actually says a lot more too much for a presbyterian and because you know he says verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised. So something happened prior to this baptism. Mm -hmm. This is what happened. You were also raised with him through faith. Mm -hmm. See, that's the actual key distinction that Paul, I would argue, is saying that, yeah, this is all symbolizing something. Your baptism is pointing to something that's That's already happened, not something that will happen in the future, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that we hope will happen. But rather, it's right. a it's a reality that's already happened. But this and then, is you know, this is goes, an understanding of of what symbols mean. The reality is always greater than the symbol. The symbol just points to something greater than 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 itself. And and so I, I agree with you. The reality is being saved in Christ. The reality is being washed by the blood of Jesus. But that doesn't do away with that. Doesn't negate um, the actual um, meaning and um, uh, practice of the symbol. Oh, absolutely not. Get baptized, right? Mm-hmm. But the point I'm making is the order is actually something that, I, you know, no, notice what it says, having been buried yep. with him in baptism, right? That's what mm-hmm. it's talking about, right? In which you were also raised. This is a past tense phrase. You were also raised with him through faith. Mm-hmm. See, this is so, so your faith comes prior to the baptism, um, which that's, this is why we baptize, Baptist, right? Creole Baptist, baptize after uh you've already uh had faith right faith comes first then we baptize well and in so, this text and, in, in in colossians it'd be baptism came first because you're buried in baptism then you're risen in faith so baptism well, actually come first in this text no it, it comes first in the sense of uh the text right in order of the words but notice what i'm saying it says having been buried him in baptism in which you were also raised that that this is you know this is a uh, t- this actually happened first even though it's second in the word order mm-hmm. but it it's it's talking about something that already happened first and then if you go you keep reading it talks about this debt being canceled mm-hmm. against us which mm-hmm. was uh displayed in our baptism so mm-hmm. I, I would this is a rhetorical question you don't have to answer it but <laughs> uh yeah I would argue, has this debt been canceled for those who have been baptized? I, I would say yes, it already has. I don't know if a Presbyterian could say that um, for every I, single no, covenant I, member. I would say I, I'm believing, I'm trusting and resting in the promise of God that he's canceling my children's debt. But that's just what it means to be in covenant is that you're trusting in the promises of God for your children. So, right. so it's not... Um, uh, it's not a, it's not a, uh, you aren't arguing this at all, but it's not, it's not some sort of works based right. thing that I'm trying to get at. It's trying, I'm trying to get at that in the covenant body of Christ. Um, uh, my, uh, my baptized one-year-old is in the part of the covenant people of God and that I'm trusting in the promises of God, which he, he says, you know, I'll bless you to a thousand generations. I'm trusting in uh, co- covenant promises of God to, to save my child. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I, I want my child to grow up in that covenant. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, I gave the kind of the metaphor earlier where, where Presbyterians look at their children's like they're growing up into Christ. Um, they aren't growing up to become Christians. They're growing up into Christ and, and their salvation will come through Christ in that sense, in that covenantal sense. Um, whereas Baptists are gr- raising their kids to become Christians. Now I'm not, I'm not arguing that my kid doesn't need to accept Jesus as his individual Lord and Savior. But I'm, I'm saying right. there's a difference of what it means to raise your one-year-old in Christ and raise your one-year-old to become a Christian. I'm saying there's a, there's a 
um, uh, categorical. Yeah, there's a difference. difference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and yeah, so yeah, I, I absolutely agree. The, and this is why I'd go back, you know, to to the challenge to ask you this question is, you know, um, the Old Testament doesn't preclude children from the covenant. Well, then, where in the New Testament does it preclude children from the covenant? So, yeah, I kind of addressed it a little bit, but I'll I'll address it fuller now. I believe there are children are in the new covenant. Um, that that is, you know, in two ways: literal children and the the spiritual children. That is the the children of God. Um, you know, I I as a Baptist, obviously, it's not my. I can't preclude anybody from the new covenant. I mean, it's God's covenant. Um, and, and I would argue the covenant he has established is one salvific, salvifically in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And so even in that, I know, I mean, there are children in, at my church who are as young as uh, four or five seem to seem to be believers. And, you know, um, and then so. So, yeah. So I would argue if they have truly come to faith, they, they are in the new covenant. So they take the Lord's so Supper at four? If if they truly profess Christ, yes, absolutely. If they truly, yeah. and I would say that yes, if you truly come to Christ, you're eligible for uh, communion. Yeah, and so we would not preclude someone from that as even as Baptists, but we don't do it apart from faith. That's the issue. I would hundred percent. I'm with you. Know, argue. So practically speaking, this is kind of getting a little weeds here, but practically, if my if I brought my two year old to your church and said, "Oh yeah, he's baptized," would you guys let him take the Lord's Supper? If if he was gen- a genuine Christian or just baptized, because I wouldn't do that for an adult either. If how adult do you, walked kn- in how do you said, know I'm a genuine Christian? By, by your testimony. People confess with their mouth all the time and they're far from sure. God. I mean, and they're so far from God. with that, absolutely. So with that, I can be deceived and ultimately, you know, you, you can deceive me. That's okay. It's not that hard. Right. I, I generally <laughs> fall. <laughs> I generally, I generally fall on, Grace, like, hey, look, man, the Lord knows I'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. But if you want to deceive me and stand before the Lord with that, that's your issue. <laughs> that's on you. Bring yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's why I would stay with that. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just asking the practical question. If I came to you and said no, my kid was it. baptized at two years old, um, would you let him take the Lord's Supper? And then right. you asked if he well, is he saved? And then I'm responding, well, how do you know it? You know, I'm saved, let alone a two-year-old saved. Right. It seems like you're still, like the Baptists still kind of get caught up in this. Like, I have to have some sort of way of, you know, figuring out the heart of what's going on with this person. Well, no, I mean, I think you would agree with this, too. Uh, You would expect there to be fruit of a Christian. Even if a Presbyterian walked into your church and said, hey, I'm going to take communion, but you just saw him. Yep. Beating his wife outside. Yeah. I'm sure you'd be like, no, you're not taking the Lord's Supper. I would beat you him. Know? I would beat him out there. <laughs> hey, hey, exactly. Right? Call the ambulance so he because not- he's not taking the Lord's Supper because he's in the ambulance driving. <laughs> That's right. Hey, I, I'm all with you, man. And so, and so with that, I, I'm not the elect detector, so to speak, but I do see in scripture where Christians are to exhibit certain kinds of fruit. Mm-hmm. And that's all the Christians, not just adult mm-hmm. Christians. Um, I mean, Obviously, with that becomes maturity. I don't expect yeah. a ten-year-old That's Christian right. to be as mature as a fifth-year-old Christian. That's right. So That's right. Th- I, but I should still see some kind of fruit, even on an immature level. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. hopefully, that helps. So, how about no? That's that, um, that's great. Um, how about uh, we just wrap it up here? You know, just give kind of a couple closing thoughts. You know, um, uh, for our audience, and then I'll I'll yeah. give my couple closing thoughts, and I'll close out close out the show. Yeah, let me let me just say this. I I, I truly love uh, my Presbyterian bros. Uh, <laughs> probably seventy five percent of my bookshelf is by Presbyterians, just because I love covenant theology. I've been influenced by people like Meredith Klein, G.K. Bill, uh, so many Presbyterians who have uh, done a great job. I, I I believe is when it comes to catechism, um, uh, covenant theology, in mm-hmm. which I don't think Baptists have. Uh, you know, stood as strong in throughout the centuries with yeah. things like dispensationalism coming yeah. in. And so yeah. with that aspect, I, I I greatly appreciate my Presbyterian friends. Like I said, it was it was why I could uh, choose a church and, and attend there for a year, over a year mm-hmm. um, for that reason. But obviously we have our, our differences and our distinctions. And I think it's good that what we did today was talked about them. No one, 
no one uh stepped out of line right we we had a we had a hearty discussion in our disagreement, right? We fought, but then we laughed, and maybe we'll feast one day. <laughs> yes, yes, sir, Chris. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, uh, Chris, thanks for for coming on, and just kind of some of my closing uh, comments here is um, that I think it we do need to recover what it means to be part of the covenant people of God. I think um, God's promises are to His covenant people, and Jesus ultimately fulfilled faithfully God's. Um, covenant uh, on the cross, where Adam Adam felled at the tree in the garden. Jesus um, uh, perfectly obeyed all the way at the tree on the uh, and died on the cross. And and that in the Old Testament, God promises that if you obey me, um, uh, and the only way you can have true obedience is in faith. This is not a, a argument of works, but God promises. And, and we got to take the promise at face value, and, and oftentimes we, we we keep clarifying. I'm talking about salvation by faith, salvation by faith, and and we um, we all believe that. And, but at the same time, we also got to keep the, um, take God's promises at face value. He says, "If you obey me, I'll bless you to a thousand generations. If you disobey me, I'll curse you to the third and fourth generation." Well, Peter um, in Acts chapter two. Verse um, 38 says, um, uh, you know, Peter just got done preaching this amazing sermon, and he says um, to everybody, he says, um, uh, they ask, hey, what should we do? We heard this, you know, the audience asked, what should we do? And Peter responds and says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so the covenant language, uh, whenever the covenant language is it pops up in the New Testament, whether uh, Paul's talking about Abraham's covenant that was made in the Old Testament and how it applies now, all that covenant language um, with Noah, with Moses, with Abraham uh, um, is applying in the New Testament. And that promise is to you and to your children. So um, when when we baptize our kids, we're baptizing into the promise that that God promised. Um, I'm trusting in the Lord for my children to be blessed to a thousand generations, and and so that's why I think um, uh, uh, pedo baptism is 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 so important because it it views do do I raise do I raise my kid um, to become a Christian or do I raise my kid in Christ? You know, if if I'm a genuinely consistent Baptist. Um, I wouldn't teach my kid to pray until he showed faith, because uh, Proverbs says a a, a a wicked prayer is an abomination to the Lord. Why would I want my kids to be to add the more to that abomination by teaching them to pray if they aren't saved? Well, but because we believe in the covenant promises of God, we believe that our our children are growing up in the covenant people of God. That's why we teach our kids. You know, that's why we catechize our kids. That's why we teach our kids to pray. That's why. Um, we teach our kids to grow up in to Christ. Um, so, with that said, I know I kind of got the. I just now thought of it, and I kind of got the last point there, and that's not fair to Chris. But no, uh, hey, you're good. <laughs> I talked long enough, and I, you were gracious to let me speak, yeah. so I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, um, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you share the show, uh, share it around. I hope this uh, spurs on some great conversation uh, with your family, with your church. Uh, thank you for tuning in this Sunday night. And uh, this is the water boy with the water break. Until next Sunday, go fight, laugh, and feast. When tyrants take over, what's the first thing they do? Disarm. It happened in Russia, China, Germany, and most recently, Afghanistan. Why? Because disarmed people are easier to control. And over the last century and a half, American tyrants have been carrying out a slow, methodical disarmament that no one is talking about. State education. Tyrants know that education is warfare. Our rulers have a vested interest in making you totally harmless. They've got big plans and they don't want you getting in the way. Think about it. Would you rather fight an army decked out with high-powered rifles or a bunch of dinky water pistols? They know that if you can think critically, you're a threat. At New St. Andrews College, we want to graduate men and women who are dangerous. Dangerous to the world, dangerous to the principalities and powers, dangerous to spiritual wickedness in high places. Education can either arm you or disarm you. It can make you a threat or make you a useful idiot. <laughs> so where you get that education counts. Click the link to apply to New St. Andrews College today.
home. It's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris and Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first. Or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy.